All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is 8-14. We're joined now, as we are every Wednesday morning, by Ronald Surpass, former head of the NOPD, former head of the Washington State Police, former head of the Nashville City Police, and our professor practiced in the Department of Criminal Justice at Loyola. And again, I feel the need to point out that is throughout a long, distinguished career. That's not in the course of four years or anything, right? That's right, Tommy. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for taking it's the time. time. We did that. Yeah, thanks for taking the time with us. Let me start with this, because there are so many things. Um, the story by Eleanor Tabone from Channel 4, 400 vehicles have been stolen across the city so far this year. It's more than 23 vehicles a day, 4,400 stolen last year. Um, I got so many questions here, Chief. I, is somebody running a ring of car theft? Are these cars going to chop shops? Uh, I know a lot of them used to end up in Bayou St. John when they were looking for the late Terry Lynn Moneta. Unfortunately, the company that was looking for her car gave up because there were so many cars in there. What What is going on in here? What has historically happened with uh, car theft in New Orleans, et cetera? Help me out. I think uh, it's a good question. I think it could be all of the same. The first thing, that many thefts would represent in my mind a state of brazenness. You know, people who are willing to do that feel brazen. They feel empowered. They feel like there's no real consequence from the police or the government for doing so. Secondly, historically, cars are stolen for usually three reasons. One, to produce a chop shop vehicle. Two, to engage in other crimes. And three, to joyride. So I think I haven't seen any data yet from the NOPD that would suggest which is the one that's most likely. But I would go back to the first point. Going onto somebody's lot, going into somebody's driveway, going into a parking garage to steal a car is a brazen act. And imagine this, Tommy, 20 years ago when we did this, there wasn't as much surveillance. So these young people aren't even concerned now that they know videos everywhere. They just don't care. And I think that's one of the key indicators. I think shooting on the interstate is another key indicator. I think the overall shootings and uh, fatal shootings and non-fatal shootings last year and carjackings and robberies, those are all key issues that point to a brazen class of criminal that feels no repercussion for their behavior. I saw a story over the weekend about a woman that had her car shot on the interstate, and NOPD told her that, and I'm not criticizing the men or women that work with NOPD, they they, they got their finger in the dike right now. They're doing everything they can, shorthanded, but that she may want to either lighten the tint on her windows, because I guess it was a case of mistaken identity, or get a new car a different kind of car and that's that's not so easily done getting a different type of car that really does point to brazenness and, and almost an out of control situation doesn't it change the kind of car I think you it absolutely in? does well and, and you know our police officers are stuck with dealing directly with the citizens who have suffered a disservice of, of a, more than a decade of a practice and policies of a city to just ignore policing this has nothing to do with the consent decree. This has nothing to do with anything other than officers feeling like they're the ones that have to explain why the city does what it does. And, Tommy, I've been in that spot in the early 80s and 90s, and these officers get frustrated, and citizens are frustrated. And luckily, I think citizens are moving past, and I'm not sure they ever really did, uh, 
polling data wouldn't suggest that they actually blame the men and women of the police department for this. That's what makes it so much more objectionable when elected leaders say, if you're attacking me, you're attacking the police and you shouldn't do so. I think the citizens and police see that differently. I don't think anybody in the world blames any any NOPD officer at all. Not that I've heard. The only thing I've heard that from is politicians trying to spin it one way or the exactly. other and take the spotlight off of themselves. Um you said that so much better than I did. That was well, exactly what I was feeling. Every now That's and true. then, every now and then, I, you know, I, I, I find something. <laughs> squirrel finds a nut. Yeah, I did find something, too, when I talked about Mitch Landrew defunding the police department. And I wanted to drill down on that a little you bit did. with you. Because take me back to what year that happened. And I wanted to talk about attrition and not hiring officers is one thing, but about attrition and Michael Harrison's tenure as chief. And if there's any correlation between attrition of officers and Michael Harrison leaving and Sean Ferguson taking over, and if attrition went up at that point where more officers left, then that would point to cronyism becoming worse or, or coming into prominence after Harrison left. Talk me through all of that, Chief, can you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I see it that way, but I'll give you the history. We well, no, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just yeah. asking. I don't know how yeah. it – I'm just – No, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So I came back in May of 10. In August of 10, I was informed, as were all department heads, that the city of New Orleans was absolutely broke. There was not a penny in the bank, and I believed it, and the city believed it, and I think it was true. So in 11, we couldn't do anything except tread water. In 12's budget, when we prepared a plan to hire civilians, shock horror, prepared a plan to hire police officers, the city and the council, not just the mayor, and the council said no. They said no in 13. In 14, they said, well, maybe we might want to start hiring again. And the police foundation stepped up, but the city wasn't willing to add money to the police foundation to do the recruiting and marketing. So it was a strategy that permeated the public and permeated the support class that the city wasn't really interested in hiring police officers. I left. A couple years later, Landrew left. You had council after council agree with city budgets year in and year out that didn't make recruitment and retention the highest priority of the police department. That didn't change until about six months ago. So that's how that all went down. I also think that as you, you, you know, part of this is really kind of boring. You look back at big hiring trends and look forward 25 years. That's a magic moment in police retention. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a bunch of people left in 19, 20, and 21 because it was just ready for them to go, coupled with Wait, 20, many officers do. 20. Uh, between 19, yeah, 19, 2019, 2020, 21. Okay. You'd want, to go, you'd want to go back and look and see how much hiring we were doing 25 years before that, which I was here. We were the number two per, I was the number two person for seven, six years. We hired, that, we hired a ton of people. So you're going to have that component affect you. But I do not want to miss the point that many police officers just really reached a point where they felt like the government wasn't in, interested in supporting them at times of need, not supporting misconduct, supporting conduct that needed to be done that they didn't do wrong. And then you move up into the end of this last 2022, and I think people have just said, what more can we be asked to do? I mean, three people working from an industrial canal to Slidell many nights by themselves. I mean, what more can the officers be asked to do? So it took that long for it to get this far, but it was a deliberate path. And, Tommy, I say this every week, and i got to keep driving this point home. A mayor submits a budget, which is the policy of the city. The council mends it and approves it. That's the policy of the city. This city still sends police officers to calls that don't require police officers because they won't fund other agencies to do so. That is an unmitigated fact. All right, let me take a break. We'll pick it up here. We come back. I want to talk about um, 
a story that broke about the revolving door, literally, uh, with magistrates and that whole process and, and the police arresting the same people over and over and over. And I made the comparison of, and it's not funny, of this old cartoon with the sheepdog and the wolf punching in and saying, hey, Ralph, hey, Joe, and, you know, same thing over and over every day. A22 traffic now, WWL. A27 and a half, back to Ronald Surpass, Professor of Practice, Department of Criminal Justice at Loyola. Loyola, Loyola, and head of three, uh, two metropolitan police departments, one state police department. Um, before I get to the um, revolving door, I want to talk about um, what you said right before the break, and you said that is a fact because I think it's noteworthy. Repeat that if you would, please. The city's mayor produces a document for a budget which is the priorities and principles of the government. The council amends it and or passes it. The city and the council still send police officers to calls that badges and guns aren't needed because they cannot or won't fund other agencies to answer that citizen demand. That's a fact. Um, the mayor's um, uh, comings and goings in upon Dalba with Officer Vappi, I can't believe salacious, yes, but I, I think beyond that, that's got to have an effect on if, they're, if they ever do conduct a nationwide search for a, a new superintendent, does it not? I would think so. I've said this to you several times. When you're a candidate for a police chief's position across the country, the first thing you look at is the relationship of the mayor to the community, to the council, to the to the system, so that you have some sense of what kind of power that they have informally and formally. Doesn't seem like there's much of that here. The council is at constant cross-purposes with the mayor for reasons that are good or bad on the issue of policing. That doesn't encourage people to want to be part of that fight. And then yesterday in the newspaper, the, the uh, former attorney for the ethics board laid out a really interesting idea. He said, in the absence of financial transactions between Bappy and uh, I'm superimposing here between Bappy and Cantrell right. as an ethics issue, that could be a problem because he was on payroll. Right. She was his boss. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that chiefs would look at and say, mm, I don't know. And this person's only got three and a half years left. Who, who knows? But we will never know because obviously a month into it, there's been no discussion of a public search, so and, and it's kind of academic to talk about it. It's not just about money. Uh, a guy or a woman looking for this position is thinking about the next position after that, and the last thing in the world you want is somebody coming in to take a big salary with a three-year contract and ride that to retirement, correct? Right. I, look, I respect a lot of people who are pushing that idea, and I think they're well-intended and good people, but that's not what police chiefs are looking for. Police chiefs are looking for the ability to build something, to build upon it, and then to build further. Uh, anybody who's coming to look for a big paycheck for three years is probably not as motivated as someone who's looking to make this a success so that they can be successful again. Which means that has to be a situation in which they can be successful, which currently seems anything but that. I, I think the I think the odds of being successful here are incredibly low, and, and people who are experienced are going to recognize that. Thank you, Chief. You a little bit under weather? You sound, you sound a little bit hoarse. Yeah, I'm getting over a cold, you know, carrying the weight of the world, shedding light where there's darkness at the campus. It's just a lot going on, Tommy, a lot going on. Well, you know what Atlas Shrugged said? Just drop it. Just put it down. Thank you, sir. Ronald Surpass, <laughs> Professor. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.